Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, our church around the world celebrates the fourth Sunday of Advent. Christmas is just a few days away, and the readings for this weekend are absolutely perfect. In the first reading, we hear from the prophet Micah. Now, Micah is considered a minor prophet in the Old Testament. We don't hear much from him. Micah lived in the southern part of Israel, and he focused a lot of his attention on the injustice of the poor. But here, in the first reading, he focuses on the prophecy of the coming Messiah. In the first reading, he tells Bethlehem will be the first witness to the coming Messiah. Notice how he says, You, Bethlehem, too small to be among the clans of Judah, from shall you come forth from me, the one who is to be the ruler of Israel. Now, when you stop and think, Bethlehem, when we live in the 21st century, And we hear Bethlehem, we naturally think of Christmas, the place where Jesus was born. However, Micah is living in the 8th century BC, 800 years before Jesus was even born. And so, if you are living during the time of Micah, and when you hear Bethlehem, the first thought or the image that comes to your mind is King David. Bethlehem is the town where David grew up in. And it's the town in which David was anointed, the king. Go back to the Old Testament. It's a classic scene. God tells the prophet of the time, Samuel, to go to Bethlehem, to the family of Jesse, and there you will anoint one of Jesse's sons, and he will be the next king of Israel. And there's the classic scene. Samuel, the prophet, is standing in the house of Jesse, along with Jesse, And Jesse calls his sons one by one. And even though the sons are strong and intelligent and impressive looking, Samuel says, no, you're not the one. And no, you're not the one. And he's not the one. And all of a sudden, all the sons stand before Samuel. And Samuel looks at Jesse and he says, do you have any more sons? Jesse says, yes, my youngest son but he's out in the fields tending to the sheep. And Samuel says, call him. Well, as soon as David comes in and Samuel looks at him, he says, that is the next king. And he immediately anoints David. And it says, the Holy Spirit rushed upon David. And David became the next king. And this all happened in Bethlehem. And so this is what Micah is talking about. Now, the beauty of this prophecy is Micah is stretching back 200 years when this occasion happened with David. He's recognizing that in Bethlehem, David, one of the greatest kings, if not the greatest king of Israel, was anointed and made king in Bethlehem. But he's also stretching out into the future. And he's seen that a new, a greater king will come. 
He will come into Bethlehem, and there the world will recognize his kingship. He's referring to Jesus Christ, the king of us and our universe. And so it's beautiful how Micah can tie those two stories together. By the way, this is why the story of Jesus Christ's birth came about in Bethlehem. Remember in Luke's Gospel, Caesar calls for a census, and it's required that all go to each of his own town. Well, Joseph was of the family of David, and David's hometown was Bethlehem. And so that's where they went to register in the census. As it is said, Bethlehem is the house of the family of David. Now, with that in mind, fast forward to the gospel. Here we have Mary, who plays an indispensable role in the prophecy of Micah coming true. Now, with Mary, we hold her up as Catholics with a great love and honor because she is a reflection of God, just like the moon is a reflection of the sun. When you think about it, when we look at the sun, we can only look at it for a split second, only for a glimpse, because of the intensity of the sun's brightness. But we can stare at the moon all night long. In a similar way, the intensity of Christ and his divineness, his godliness, is overwhelming. And so it's difficult sometimes for us to understand God as well as his ways. And yet at the same time, we can reflect upon Mary so often and how she, like us as human beings, she becomes the true disciple of Jesus Christ. And she helps us to surrender and accept God's will and then to live it out each and every day of our life. More importantly, Mary, when we pray to her, she always points to her son and helps us to love him and to serve him. In so many ways, Mary represents the whole people of Israel. Mary is faithful, the way God intended the Israelites to be. The Israelites were intended to be a faithful people, to draw all nations to God. And yet we see in the Old Testament how they failed time upon time. Mary is also considered by the early church fathers as the new Eve. Eve, as well as Adam, abandoned paradise, such that they saw God as a rival. And when they reached out to grasp that fruit, they wanted to be gods themselves. And in doing so, they ushered in sin into this world and began that momentum of sin. What's God's mission? To reverse that momentum of sin. In the story of the Annunciation, the angel Gabriel tells Mary of God's plan and her role in that plan. She immediately says, without any hesitation, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your will. Eve and Adam, they grasped. They grasped at godliness. They wanted to be gods themselves. What does Mary do? Just the opposite. She surrenders. She accepts God's will. And from that moment on begins the reverse of the momentum of original sin. Mary accepts God's will, and from that moment forward, she becomes pregnant with God's own life. In a figurative way, it all happens with us, too. When we accept God's will, which is to live out our faith each and every day of our life, then God's life takes root in us. 
just like Mary. How does that work? Well, Eve and Adam, in that act of grasping for God, they blocked the flow of God's grace and his divine life. Mary, in her acceptance of God's will, allowed the life and the love of God to flow in and through her, and then to touch the world so that salvation can come to each and every one of us. Better yet, Mary truly is the new Eve because she allows God's life and love to rush deep within inside of her so that the whole world, each and every one of us, can be touched by God's life and love. When you look at Mary, she reminds us of Moses. Mary is comparable really to the burning bush, out of which God's voice is spoken to by Moses. If you look at the third chapter of Exodus, the bush is on fire, yet it's not consumed. Yet from that bush comes the voice of God. Well, we aren't consumed by God in God's presence, but we are raised and elevated by it. Mary, like that burning bush, is in God's divine presence and is alive in Mary. And yet it doesn't overwhelm her or consume her, but rather it makes her radiant. Her prayer in the Magnificat, Mary prays, My soul does magnify the glory of the Lord. Well, her soul is most at peace when Christ is close to her. And so Mary is also evocative of Moses because Mary is the new and true Ark of the Covenant. Just as the tablets of the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, were placed in the Ark as a sign of God's presence to his people, so Mary now carries the true and real presence of God in her body. Mary is the true Ark of the Covenant, carrying God's presence. Now, with all that in mind, go into the Gospel. Just before this passage that we heard today was the story of the Annunciation. Mary finds out that she will be the mother of God, and yet it doesn't phase her, it doesn't change her. Why? Because she's rooted in her identity as the handmaiden of the Lord, as evidenced on how the story takes place. Mary, when she is confronted by Gabriel, she finds out that her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. Now, Mary's first thought is not about her title as queen of heaven and earth. It's not about the privilege that she will receive by giving birth to the Son of God. Her first thought is about Elizabeth and how she can help her. That's why it says, Mary set out and in haste traveled to the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. I like that detail. In haste, she traveled to the hill country She didn't dawdle, she didn't pause, she didn't second guess. She acted immediately. She knew God's will and she acted upon it right away. Well, that's great for us too. When we know God's will, which is to live out our faith each and every day of our life, we have to act upon it. We can't say, oh, well, you know, I know I need to pray every day, but I'm too busy this week, maybe next week, and just put it off. No, we can't. Like Mary, in haste, we have to act upon it. Now, travel in the ancient world was not easy. When I lived in Israel, 
My classmates and I traveled from Bethlehem to Nazareth and back and forth. It took us four hours on a bus. And so, a good person that was physically fit, walking, would probably take maybe four days, maybe a week, to travel between Nazareth and Bethlehem. More to it, the travel wasn't easy. It's filled with steep hills and deep valleys. And we have to be reminded that Mary is pregnant as she is walking this distance. And yet, Mary does not care. She's acting upon God's will. Her first thought is to care for Elizabeth. One last thing to think about. It says, Elizabeth, when she heard the greeting of Mary, the infant leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant leapt in my womb for joy. Well, John is the baby that Elizabeth is carrying, and he's filled with joy. Why? Because John knows he is in the presence of God. He is in the presence of Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. His first response, to leap with joy. I always tell people, a definitive sign of the Holy Spirit is a sense of inner peace and inner joy. Well, we see this on display with Mary, Elizabeth, and John. And so too with us. We feel a sense of joy. When we come up to communion, we take God literally into our bodies and we feel a sense of joy. Maybe we go on retreat or we hear an inspirational speaker that sets our faith on fire. We feel a sense of joy. In the coming days ahead, we will gather with our family and our friends to celebrate Christmas and we'll feel a sense of joy that those people are in our life. Well, like Mary and Elizabeth and John, we should be a joyful people because the presence of Christ is in our life. And we recognize that in so many different ways. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.